gather with you again this morning um, and just yeah, be together in your in God's presence with you as we gather together to people to, to worship. Uh, if you're visiting or new, my name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Free Lakes Evangelical Free Church and we're glad that you're here with us this morning to, to worship together. A couple things about our church. right? We really want to be about about three things of the church. Reaching people with the gospel, growing to be like Christ, and serving others. So, in your bulletin, you see a couple ways to do each of those things. Right? When it comes to reaching people, reaching our community, coming up on May 3rd, our church is hosting um, the, uh, the Northwoods Share Community Dinner at 
the Rock Mission Center. We're going to package meals and then distribute them in kind of a drive-through style. It's a way to kind of bless the community. So if you would like to help and serve in that capacity, either packing meals or distributing meals, you can contact the church office. When it comes to ways to grow, I just want to point out, so this morning we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper in the sermon. And I started this week this book called The Lord's Supper. It's in your bulletin as well. I know you can't see it very well. But it's called The Lord's Supper at the Sign and Meal of the New Covenant. It was really helpful for me. And this book is part of a, a series called Short Studies in Biblical Theology. So I thought I'd mention it because if you're looking for like an easy, accessible way to maybe go a little bit deeper into some what the Bible has to teach, like there's 12 books in this series on different topics like the Lord's Supper. I used one a couple weeks ago on the kingdom of God. There's one on like, work. There's one on um, a number of other things. There are 12 of them all together. And so I just commend those books to you if you're like, looking for a way. They're like 100 pages. They're a short read, but they're helpful and just getting a little deeper into some of the things that the Bible teaches. I just wanted to mention that because it was really helpful for me this week. Now when it comes to, to serving, opportunities to serve, we have a number of Opportunities, but one in particular I want to mention is just helping with slides and sound and live streaming in the back. If you have any desire to learn more about that, we would love to um, connect you with a way to um, serve back there, whether it's running slides or helping set up sound for the Sunday morning or helping with live streaming. We'd love to train you, help you do that and learn more about that. A couple other announcements. The next Sunday following both the service and Sunday school and cross-training. Following all that, we will have our, our annual meeting. That's April 3rd, and so we will, or not our annual, our quarterly meeting. We'll gather together, we'll talk just about kind of what the church is up to, where we're headed, um, and touch base on a few things like that. So we'd encourage you, especially if you're a member, to be a part of that. Um, but anyone is welcome to come and just hear more about the church. As we continue our, our time of worship, one of the ways we worship beyond singing is through our giving of our, our tithes and offerings. And so if you want to be a part of what we're doing here at the church and contribute to what we're doing, right, you can place your, your tithes and your offerings in the boxes on the back wall. Or you can give online. There are instructions for that on the back of your bulletin along with a, a QR code you can scan to make it easy to get to the giving page of our website if you want to give that way. If you're visiting, like, please know we're not expecting you to give. We don't want you to give. We want this service to be a gift to you. But if you're a member here, a regular tender here, and you want to contribute to what we're doing, those are the ways that you can do it. As we continue to worship, let's calm our heart, prepare our heart by going to God in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for the chance to gather together as your people together in this place. Thank you for each life represented here that you've drawn each one of us here for your purpose. That you're doing a work in the life of each person sitting here, each person watching online. You are at work and you've brought us here for a purpose. I just thank you for the way your hand has guided each one of us to be here in this moment at this time. We can gather together, we can sing praise to you, we can 
fellowship with one another. We can support one another. We can bring you honor and glory and praise. God, just help us this morning to not take for granted this opportunity that you provided this place, provided the means for us to be here. That we can fix our minds on you, fix our hearts on you, and bring you honor and glory. That be the desire of our heart this morning to pour out praise to you. Father, we pray for those in our church family who are walking through hard times now, that you would, especially this morning, be at work to bring them comfort and peace. You would give them confidence of your goodness even in the midst of trial and darkness. Pray for those around the world who are suffering as well, that you would be with them in a special way, that they would find hope in you in the midst of dark and hard times. God, now as we prepare to continue to sing, would you quiet our mind, quiet our heart, so we can fix our thoughts and our affections on you. And we would worship bring you glory. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Take it every 
us more like Jesus, you would give us more of Jesus, we would decrease so that He can increase, that our lives would not be lived for our own purposes and our own glory, but for Jesus and for His glory. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. There's a book called Menus That Made History. And in this book, the authors Vincent Franklin and Alex Johnson, they recount, they call, 100 iconic menus that capture the history of food. So all the menus in this book are, are interesting to one degree or another. But for me, like by far, the one that I found most interesting was a feast that this guy named Robert Dudley, who was the Earl of Leicester, threw in honor of Queen Elizabeth I. He threw it in 1560. And Elizabeth I was famously 
unmarried. But Robert Dudley desperately wanted to change that fact. He wanted to marry her, and he wanted to win her affection, so he threw this giant feast for her. And the menu for this feast included 10 sheep, 48 ducks, 6 heron, which, good for you, (laughs) 26 turkeys, and turkeys had just been introduced to England, so it's like a delicacy at that time. And 26 of them. And 41 dozen loaves of bread. A massive meal. And the following dinner, there was the dessert course, of course. And Elizabeth was well known for her sweet tooth. So, so Richard went all out for dessert. It's reported that he used 89 pounds of sugar altogether to make all the dessert he made. 89 pounds. This is at a time when like, sugar was such a delicacy that a wealthy family, like a wealthy family, ate on average one pound in a year. And he used 89 pounds in one meal. He went all out to win Elizabeth's heart. Alas, for Paul Richard, like, didn't work out. Like, Elizabeth didn't marry him, but he didn't stop him from trying again. So 15 years later, In 1575, Richard throws another feast for Elizabeth. This one lasted 17 days. But Richard went in a slightly different direction with the menu for this meal. The menu for this 17-day feast included things, and like, you can't make this up. It included whale vomit, dried sturgeon stomach, and pig bladder skins. And like, he threw this massive feast, and like, this, these efforts by Dudley compelled Elizabeth to give him all kinds of fancy titles. Right? He became master of the horse, and he became a privy counselor. He became lord steward of the royal household, and became the Earl of Leicester. But alas, like, all these efforts did not persuade Elizabeth to, to marry him. But like the sheer extravagance and the sheer ostentatiousness of these meals have made them somewhat famous. And it also makes them an interesting comparison to another famous meal. Perhaps the most famous meal, which is the Last Supper. That meal, the Last Supper, is so opposite. Because it's centered around three simple elements. Lamb, unleavened bread, and wine. And this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at what the Bible has to tell us about the significance of that meal, the significance of the Last Supper. We're going to do that as part of a, a new series that I'm calling The Road to Resurrection. So we're taking a break this morning for the next few weeks from our series through the book of Luke to spend some time in the lead up to Easter, kind of focusing on the events around Easter. So my plan is this. We're, we're currently four weeks away from Easter. And then the three, le- three weeks leading up to Easter, including today, I want to look at the events of the three days leading up to Easter Sunday. So today we're going to look at the events that took place on the Thursday before Easter, in particular the Passover meal. Next week we'll look at the events of Good Friday. The following week, we'll consider the 
events that took place on the Saturday before Easter. And then on Easter Sunday, we'll look at the resurrection itself and what makes Easter and the resurrection so significant. That's the plan. And today we start by looking at the events of the third day before Easter. And actually, it's kind of shocking. Like I didn't realize until I looked this week like how much actually happens on the third day before Easter. It's on the third day before Easter that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's, at the, it's on the third day before Easter that Jesus gives his, if, what we call his farewell discourse. In fact, like the third day before Easter is historically called Maundy Thursday. And Maundy comes from the Latin word for commandment because during the farewell discourse, Jesus gives the command. Right? A new command I give you, love one another. Jesus says that on the third day before Easter. It's also on the third day before Easter that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's on the third day before Easter that Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. And truly, any one of those events could have been a sermon in and of itself. But I want to focus this morning in our time together on Jesus and his disciples celebrating their final Passover meal together. The meal which we now call the Last Supper. There's some, there's some overlap to these events, of course. Right? It's at the final Passover that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's at this Last Supper that Jesus gives the farewell discourse. It's at the Last Supper that Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal. But this morning, I want to really focus on what Jesus has to say about the significance of the meal itself. And to do that, we're going to look at the account of the Last Supper in the book of Luke, starting in Luke chapter 22, verse 7. All four of the Gospel writers talk about the Last Supper, and they give kind of varying and various details. But I want to focus on Luke's account this morning because he gives the most detail about the the significance of the meal itself. So with that in mind, we're going to read Luke's account of the Last Supper in Luke 22, starting in verse 7. The verse will be on the screen if you want to read them there, or there's a Bible in front of you. This is how Luke recounts the event of the Last Supper. He writes this. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asked, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things, just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, 
This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. So this this account starts on Thursday morning with Jesus sending Peter and John to make preparations for the Passover. And it seems that Jesus, kind of knowing he was becoming unpopular, made arrangements ahead of time for this meal. And he had kind of set up a prearranged signal with someone. Right? We can tell you know, it's a prearranged signal, or guess it's a prearranged signal, because like, they're supposed to look for a man carrying a water jar. And in that culture at that time, like, a man carrying a water jar would have been uncommon. Right? Typically, it's a woman who carried the water jar. And so Jesus had this prearranged signal right, with a man carrying a water jar. He tells Peter and John to go find that man. And they do. And he leads them to a room, and they make preparations throughout the day for the meal. And then in the evening, like, the disciples all gather together in that room. They share the Passover meal together. But Jesus quickly makes it clear that this is not going to be a typical Passover meal. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, of like walking in to what you expect to be a like fairly typical situation. Like you can just instantly tell like something is different. When I first started thinking about possibly going into ministry... I did a sort of informal internship with the pastor of the church we were attending at the time. But unfortunately for me, the timing of that internship wasn't great because after only a couple of months of that internship, the, the pastor announced his resignation. And it was on good terms, everything was fine. But I remember showing up at an elder meeting that I was invited to. And the meeting started. And even though it started with like routine church business, you could just instantly feel that something was different. There was just a, a tension or a feeling in the room. And throughout that whole meeting, I got just struck by the feeling that something was off. And then sure enough, at the end of the meeting, right, the pastor stood up and he read his le- resignation letter to the elder board. We could just feel it in the air before the meeting even started. Like, and I imagine that's the scenario here. Right? This is probably the third Passover meal that Jesus and the disciples ate together. They've eaten countless other meals together. And I can just imagine that they walk into this meal and immediately they can sense that something is different about this one. This is not going to be a typical Passover meal. And then Jesus stands up and he makes it abundantly clear that correct, right? that this is not going to be a typical Passover meal. In verses 15 and 16, he says this, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
So you make that statement, and then the Passover meal follows. But the Passover meal that follows is, is in some ways a traditional, typical Passover meal, but in other ways, the meal that follows fundamentally reframes the significance of the Passover. In fact, Jesus here says that Passover itself, the Passover meal itself, was never intended to be an end in and of itself. He said that it was made to point forward to something that, was, that would find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And throughout the rest of this meal, Jesus helped us begin to see more fully what that fulfillment in the kingdom of God will look like. And what we ultimately see is right, that at this last Passover meal, Jesus institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. And what we'll see is, as we walk through this passage is that this Lord's Supper that he institutes is intended to do two things simultaneously. It's intended to point in two directions at once. It's made to point, to point us back to what Jesus did for us in his earthly ministry and on the cross. And it's made to point us forward to the ultimate fulfillment of all God's promises. And so this morning, I want to just spend some time looking at each of those aspects of the Lord's Supper and see what Jesus has to say about each of them as he institutes the Lord's Supper here in the passage. Before we get there, let's just kind of make sure we're all on the same page when we talk about the Lord's Supper. We understand what we mean by the Lord's Supper. In his, his New City Catechism, Tim Keller says that Christ commanded all Christians to eat bread and to drink from the cup in thankful remembrance of him and his death. That's the Lord's Supper. When we come together, we eat bread and we drink from the cup together to remember him. Sometimes we call it communion, sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper, but that's what Jesus is instituting here. But one of the great dangers in life, especially if it feels like in, in church life, is that when we do things over and over and over again, it's really easy for them to lose their significance right, if we're not careful. We can start to go through the motions and forget why we actually do certain things. And it's really easy to see that in like, other people's faith traditions. right? They're just, they're just going through the motions. But like, we do the same thing on our own sometimes. And I feel that like the Lord's Supper or communion is one of those places where we can tend, if we're not careful, to just kind of go through the motions. So my hope this morning is that this passage will remind us of the reason that we celebrate communion. We celebrate the Lord's Supper each month. And the reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper is because of what Jesus says at this meal, at the Last Supper. That's why like, when we do celebrate communion together, I stand up here and I recite the words of Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. That he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way how he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus commands us as Christians to celebrate this meal together. And by looking at this passage, like, where he makes that command, we see two reasons why 
he desired his follower to celebrate the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, to celebrate communion together. And the first was that it helped us to, to look back. It's a clear in verse 19 when Jesus says, Do this, right? Eat this meal, take communion, celebrate the Lord's Supper, do this. Why? In remembrance of me. Like, one of the reasons we celebrate the Lord's Supper is to help us remember Jesus. We are just forgetful creatures by, by nature. Right? We, have, we have an overblown sense, overblown confidence in our memory. I don't know how many times like, one of our kids has said something cute or funny, and I've thought, like, oh, I should write that down so that I can tell Vanessa later. But then I think, nah, like, that was so cute, that was so funny, I'll, I'll definitely remember it. Like, I don't need to write that down. And then, like, later that night when I get the chance to talk to her, like, I remember in the back of my head that there's something I'm going to tell her, but I have no idea what it was, right? It's gone. We forget. We're forgetful creatures. Research, research shows that, like, whether it's students in a classroom or employees at a training or anywhere where information is presented by a speaker to an audience, research shows that within one hour, the hearer will have forgotten 50% of what they heard. After one day, they'll have forgotten 70%. And after one week, they'll have forgotten 90% of what they heard during that session. Which means that if I ask you next Sunday what today's sermon was about, on average, you'll be able to recall 10% of it. Which is, you know, like super encouraging to me. So. It's actually, actually... It's kind of nice, right? Because I can, I can say the same things over and over and over again. And you won't remember. Like, I, don't have to, I don't have to reinvent the wheel each week. Like we're here in Luke 22. Like in our Luke sermon series, we're going to get to Luke 22 in like six months. And I won't use the same sermon, but there's going to be overlap. And you won't know. I'll probably just make the same joke and you'll totally have forgotten. But that, that's who we are. Right? We're, we're forgetful people. Which means that we need ways to draw our minds back to the things that matter the most. And that's what the Lord's Supper provides for us. It provides a way for us to remember all that Jesus did. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that, that Jesus' body was broken on the cross. It's a reminder that His blood was poured out. Because his body being broken and his blood being poured out was the only way that our sins can be forgiven. It was our only hope of being able to spend eternity with Jesus in glory. Like our best efforts, our good deeds would never be enough to earn God's favor. That's why Jesus went to the cross. We couldn't save ourselves in our own power. We could never be good enough. And many of us know that. Many of you, I won't point you out, I won't name names, but many of you have been going to church since before I was born. Like, you've heard the gospel message like more times than you can count. Like, you've heard the message that there's nothing you can do. It's not in your power. Over and over and over again. And yet, if you're anything like me, if you go about your day-to-day life, you start to think, you start to live like your 
relationship with God is dependent on your performance. You suddenly find yourself like trying really hard to be good enough to earn God's favor. Or like when you find yourself on a pattern of sin, like you find yourself just trying really hard to pull yourself up by your moral bootstraps in order to earn your way back into God's good graces. We're so quick to forget that it does not depend on us or our own self-effort. That's why the Lord's Supper is such a powerful reminder. As we partake of that bread and that juice, we're reminded that Jesus' body was broken, that His blood was poured out. And And we're reminded that it would make no sense for Jesus to have endured the agonies of the cross if we could make ourselves right with God in our own power. It would make no sense to go through that if there was another way. But we couldn't do it on our own power. We could never be good enough on our own. That's why Jesus endured all he did on the cross. Even when we were his enemies. When we wanted nothing to do with him. When we were reveling in our own sin. Jesus went to the cross for us. Because he loved us. Even when we didn't love him, he loved us. That's why verse 15 in this passage is so remarkable. Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus has shown over and over again throughout the book of Luke that he knows that his time on earth will involve great suffering. He is not naive about what is about to happen to him. In fact, after this meal, he's going to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he's there, he will plead, plead with God. Like, if there's any other way, like, take the suffering from me. He knows that the suffering to come is going to be terrible. But there is no other way. So he endured it willingly for us. Out of his deep love for us. John makes this connection between Jesus' willingly enduring the cross and his love for us clear in verse, John chapter 13, verse 1. He said this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Then John says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I just I love that verse. But I thought about like doing this whole sermon on that one verse. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the earth. He knew that suffering was coming. But having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew what was coming. He had been aware during his whole ministry what it was leading up to. He has shown great love to us by giving up the glories of heaven and coming to earth in the first place. But he didn't stop there. He loved us to the end, John says. He didn't bail out at the last possible moment. He finished the work. I got paraphrased it earlier, but it's worth mentioning again. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes, 
God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love by Christ dying for us while we were still sinners. That's what the Lord's Supper, that's what communion reminds us of. That Jesus loved us till the end. That while we were still sinners, when there was absolutely nothing commendable or worthy in us, Jesus died for us. So when Jesus says, do this, right? eat this bread, drink from this cup in remembrance of me, that's what we remember. That he loved us to the end. But I have to admit, for me, when I've, I've thought about the Lord's Supper for myself, or even as I've stood up here and I've led us in taking communion together on a Sunday morning, like remembering and like looking back at the cross is often all I've really thought about, right? all I've really focused on. But as I was reading Luke 22 this week, I was struck like in a way that I've never been before by this passage, right? that pointing back to the cross is only part of the purpose of the Lord's Supper. It not only does taking communion point us back and help us remember what Jesus did on the cross, right? Celebrating the Lord's Supper also points us forward to the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover meal. And the key to seeing this is found in verse 16 in this passage. Jesus tells his disciples, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. As I said earlier, Passover was, was never meant to be an end in and of itself. It was always a shadow of something that would find its ultimate fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And the obvious question becomes, what is that ultimate fulfillment? We find the answer to that question in in the the book of Revelation, chapter 19, starting in verse 7. We read this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. In Revelation, God is communicating with the Apostle John through a series of visions in order to describe what the end of history will be like. And when he wants to show John the glory that awaits everyone who has trusted in Jesus, the imagery John gets is of a wedding and of a meal. For For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. At the end of history, after Jesus has returned and all those who have trusted in him, we will, we will sit down with him at, a, at another meal. But at this future meal, no suffering awaits. No dark days of despair are coming. When we sit down at this future meal, Jesus will have made everything right. There will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears. We will sit down to this future meal with Jesus in pure joy and glory. 
That's the hope we had to look forward to. And in the midst of, of trials and pain and suffering, we look forward to that day. Knowing that whatever we're going through, whatever dark trials we may be facing, that day and that meal is coming. When we, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're given a chance to look forward to that day. And that hope is essential for us living a joyful life here on earth. Baseball teams, they're, they're currently in spring training. The opening day is like a week and a half away. And last year, the Baltimore Orioles, like, they, finished their, they had won 52 games and they lost 110 games. Which is the 15th most losses of any team ever in well over 100 years of baseball history. They were awful last year. And according to most experts, they're not expected to be much better this year. And yet, as of right now, today, the Orioles are undefeated. And that fact gives Oriole fans hope. Anything can happen. Every player on that team could have the best season of their career and they could vastly improve over last year. And that hope, right, that, that possibility, no matter how remote, allows Oriole fans to look forward to the season with hope. There's a, there's a sliver of a chance that the Orioles will end this season in, in ultimate baseball glory by winning the World Series. And that sliver of a chance enables Oriole fans to, to press on in their fandom, no matter how dark things may seem. And if that's true of baseball fans, right, which is a, it's a sliver of hope, how much more true should it be for us when our hope is assured? We can be confident that our hope will come to pass. No matter how dark, no matter how bleak, no matter how painful things may be in the moment. We can press on, even in the darkness, because we know that glory awaits us. And taking communion together, an opportunity to look forward to that day, to reflect on the fact that no matter how dark things may be, glory is coming. But here's the thing. That glory is only for those who follow Jesus. In verse 22, Jesus says, The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And in this context, when Jesus says, Woe to that man who betrays him, he's obviously talking about Judas. But the same thing is true about everyone who does not Follow Jesus in this life. The warning is the same. Woe to them. And this woe is the word of warning that condemnation is coming. For anyone who hasn't followed Jesus, there is no great meal at the end of history. There is no great hope worth looking forward to. The work of Jesus on the cross is not worth remembering if you haven't decided to follow him. If you're here this morning, you're watching or you're here, like you've never followed Jesus. 
He never trusted that his dying on the cross is the only way that your sins can be forgiven. You've never believed and trusted that. I just urge you, trust in him. Believe in him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Knowing that if you believe in him, then God will not judge you based on your sins, but on the righteous life that Jesus lived. But that's your only hope. If you've never trusted Jesus, then trust him. Those of us who are here who have trusted Jesus, here's what I hope to take from this. The next time we, we celebrate communion together, whether it's here or you celebrate somewhere else at another church sometime, like, here's my encouragement. The next time you take communion, like, don't just go through the motions. Don't just treat it as ritual. Don't just do it because that's what we do on the second Sunday of the month. But use celebrating the Lord's Supper together as an opportunity. Use it as an opportunity to look back and to remember what Jesus did for you. And use it as an opportunity to look forward to when we will sit down with Him in glory at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And of course, like, when we take communion, that's not the only time that we can do these things. It's good to do those things each and every day. Let me just encourage you, as you leave here, even today, to, just, to do that. Right? To rejoice, to remember, and rejoice. Like, remember all that Jesus has done for you. And rejoice in the great hope that you have in the kingdom of God. We will one day sit down at the measure of the Lamb with Him in glory. This meal, this last supper will find its ultimate fulfillment. Let's pray. Father, we... We thank you for the way that you provide reminders for us. That you, as our creator, knowing our, our propensity to forgetfulness, have given us tangible ways to remind ourselves of your goodness and your glory and your love for us. God, we take time day by day, each day, to remember what you did for us on the cross. What you did for us in sending Jesus to die in our place. Would the gospel never become just a formula we recite? Would we never take for granted all that you did for us. But we constantly remember how when we were rebelling against you, when we were without hope, when we were lost in our sin, 
We were your enemies. Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. And He willingly went to the cross on our behalf. Of His great love for us. That truth never slip to the back of our minds. Would we never take that for granted? Would it constantly be fresh? Would we constantly be amazed that you would love us that much? You would pour out your grace on us, that we would not get what our sin deserves, but that you would provide a way for us to be forgiven and to spend eternity with you. Father, as we walk through this broken and hurting world, as we walk through hard times, as we walk through despair, would you point our minds to the glory that awaits us? Would you help us to look forward to the day when we will sit down the wedding meal with Jesus at the bride. And we'll sit down in glory when there is no more pain, when there is no more suffering, when there is no more death. But you give us continual hope in that day. That hope give us the ability to walk through this life with all its trials, with all its pain. Still joyful. Maybe sorrowful, but help us to always be rejoicing that that day is coming. We pray to in Jesus' name. Amen. But do you go from here? Do you go with those two things being true? Would you go remembering all that Jesus did. Andrew, would you go rejoicing in the promised future you have? You are dismissed.